Shomrabyog. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Shalook. Shalisten, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Shalook, Shalisten. Shalook, Shalisten. Shalook, Shalisten. Shalook, Shalisten. Shalook. Shalisten. Shalook, Shalisten. Shalook, Shalisten. We're all very good, very exciting, and we're deep into 2024 now, and we've loads of things to look at, including, very sadly, the passing of one Carl Weathers and Io Debris out of Thunderbolts. I didn't know she was in it, but she's out of it. And we've seen trailers for a cavalcade of what's going on in that Creepy Woods movies. But what we're going to look at is the trailer for Long Legs with one Nicolas Cage. And Tuesday, look at that bird. Huge bird. But, Ben... That's not all. Despite the fact that neither of us really cared too much about previous Guy Ritchie... Is it the Guy Ritchie films? Let's just assume it is. is. Despite the fact that neither of us cared terribly, we're also excited about the trailer for The League of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Well, you're excited for it. Well, don't spoil, Ben, the bloody... The bloody... What's going to happen in the podcast. People won't listen. People won't listen. Should listen, Michael. If that wasn't enough to make sure people listen. Yeah. That wasn't enough. You uh, are going to enjoy the review of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, because I've seen all of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. The new version. The new version from Donald Glover and Maya Erskine. Oh, how exciting. On Amazon Prime. And, Michael. What? Who's afraid of the king in yellow? We're taking a look at the granddaddy of cosmic horror, Michael. And we're going we're gonna to lash it into us. We're going to learn all about the King in Yellow, where he comes from. What's it all about? What was Robert W. Chambers smoking at that time? And how it's become so bloody influential in pop culture. Very good, Benjamin. A terrible week this week for Dublin City... No, for Dublin Comic Con. Yes. Because, Benjamin, this is... This is uh, let's not make too much of a light of the fact that Carl Weathers, legend of the industry, has passed away. But a terrible yes. bit of time from Dublin Comic Con and uniquely bad timing from an Irish perspective. Because Dublin Comic Con, just this week, Ben, announced at about two o'clock in the afternoon that Carl Weathers was the star guest of the March edition of Dublin Comic Con. And then less than a couple of hours later, it was very tragically announced that he had passed away. Yeah, look, it wasn't, it was, some would say, the worst timing. Mm, a heck of a uh, By Dublin Comic Con, not by Carl Weathers. Mm. Our sympathy goes out to everyone in Carl Weathers' life uh, and the legacy he leaves behind. But my goodness, my goodness, how awkward. A bit of terrible timing, Ben. You'll be glad to hear that I have cancelled our appearance at Dublin Comic Con, lest the same <laughs> befall us. Have you indeed? Yes, I have. I took I took an executive decision, Barrett. I did it without asking. Benjamin Carl Weathers, legend <laughs> of the industry. He was really in two pop culture juggernauts that you can't not have ever not seen. Yeah. So he was Apollo Creed, famously. He was. In Rocky 1, 2, Rocky 3, and Rocky 4. Yes. And uh, he's good in that, isn't he? He's very muscular and oily. He's a very muscular, strong man, Michael. But, Benjamin, would you believe an all-star athlete for, like, his entire life, but all he wanted to do was be in films? That's all he wanted. That? That's all he wanted. Top-class, grade-A athletic material yeah. there. Went on to be a movie Yeah, he star. just said, no, I'm not having it. I'm not doing any more of this American hand egg. I'm just going to start doing movies. I'm just going to start doing movies. And did movies he did, Michael. He very much did, Benjamin. My, obviously, mm. my age generation... The big hit 
of um of Carl Weathers was I can't speak was Predator Ben. I yes. saw Predator when I was about twelve. I think my dad showed me Predator because he wanted me to stop being such a little bitch. Yes. And said there's not a man alive, even a twelve year old little bitch <laughs> who can watch Dylan and Duke. Is Duke his name? <laughs> okay. No, it's probably not. Yeah. The, who could, it's Duke. Yeah, it is. It is who Duke. can watch them clasping arms and getting all muscly and going off into the jungle to fight a monster and continue to grow up a little bitch. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's not gonna happen. And Michael, some would say, looking at your life what? and times, that he succeeded. It worked some in some ways, Ben, too well. Too well, some would say. Uh, I actually can't greet another man without clasping him by the hand and having a mid-air arm wrestle. I know. I've done several bits of damage, and my physiotherapist keeps telling me not to meet you in person. <laughs> well, the only person you have to blame for that is the great Carl Weathers. Benjamin, he was also Grief... Car- grief Cargo? Was that his name? Grief Cargus. In a... Uh, Grief Cargus in The Mandalorian, and some of them were good, but some of them were less good. Yeah, I mean, as it went on, not so good, Michael. But season one, mm. where he played, you know, a, a pretty much a key character for The Mandalorian's development. Great stuff. Great stuff Fabulous. from him. Uh, Fabulous stuff altogether. In fairness, I think in the later appearances, he just wasn't given a lot of material to work with, Michael. You could say that of everyone in The Mandalorian, Ben. But, <laughs> shut up for a second. Oh. Because the all-time best performance that Carl Weathers ever did was as Carl Weathers in Arrested Development. Yes. Stick it, stick it in some broth. you got a stew going, baby. He's got a stew. He's so stingy, Ben. He's so stingy. Carl Weathers is the stingiest actor alive in Arrested Development. That, Michael, always, to me, is the sign of a great actor. Anyone who can come on to a show and take the ever-living piss out of themselves... Like, to the point that he's downright unlikable. He's basically a grifter who's taking advantage of Tobias Fumke. Yes, but fair enough. But fair enough, because if ever there was a man to be taken advantage of, it's Tobias Fumke. But in this particular case, Michael, ah, phenomenal stuff from him. He's hilarious in it as the acting coach, Carl Weathers. (laughs) Fabulous. Benjamin. Yes. Iowa Debris out of Thunderbolts. Yes, again, citing uh, just, you know, a bit of thought after the writer strikes and uh, scheduling conflicts, Michael. We, we don't have that much information on this one, uh, but Iowa Debris is out. Uh, Irish princess Iowa Debris has left the Thunderbolts production, uh, leaving a massive Celtic loss. Um, it's cut a swathe through the production, one would imagine. Uh, however, she's been replaced swiftly, Michael. Very swiftly. Very swiftly. Uh, by Geraldine, and I'm definitely going to get this wrong, so I apologise, Geraldine, but Viswanathan. Oh, I thought she was going to be Irish when it started with Geraldine. I mean, maybe? Uh, we're finding out that lots of Hollywood celebrities, Michael, are, in fact, Irish. So let's keep it going. Geraldine, uh, noted Celtic princess Geraldine Viswanathan, uh, is uh, going to be there. I, I'm definitely saying it wrong, Michael, because I feel like... Yes. I feel like... Yes. It's as... I'm not even going to take a guess, but I'm getting it wrong. I'm, I'm going to Benjamin, put money on that. Yes. Look, there's no onus on you to be able to pronounce names you've never heard spoken out loud before correctly the first time you ever say them. What I'm just suggesting is maybe you could have looked at an interview before and then you would have heard her saying it and then it would be right. And then you wouldn't have to guess. Yeah, Michael, but that, but that gives the impression 
and I, th- I think somewhat of a false impression to the listeners that I do any research before this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> just pluck it out of thin air. Benjamin, no one knows who she was playing, do they? I mean, does Nobody care? knows, Michael. There's nothing on this. We knew when Stephen Yun left that he was going to be Sentry. However, here, we have no idea uh, what's happening here. Um, Geraldine uh, Vis... And I'm going to try again. Viswenathan. Okay, I think. very good. Viswenathan, I think, is how I've looked up a, a classic pronunciation guide there, Michael. Um, the only thing we might have seen her in, Michael, is Miracle Workers. Never uh, heard of it. With Daniel Radcliffe. Never heard of it. Benjamin, you know I won't watch anything with Daniel Radcliffe in it. I know, because he is notably too short for you to give any attention to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see pe- I don't see men under five six as real people, Ben. You don't. Do you know who you do see as a real person, Michael? Oh, who? Nicholas Bloody Cage. Yeah, because he's very tall. You see, he's very tall. You see, and that inspires a certain respect from Michael Leonard. Yes, it does, Benjamin. Ben, mm. there was a swath of creepy "What's Going On in the Woods" trailers this week. Um, yes, there was Long Legs. Mm-hmm. There was the other one. That I've mm-hmm. kind of forgotten the name of. What was it called? Oh, Lovely, Dark and Deep. Uh, that's a different kind of film, Michael. That has it nothing isn't. to do with Creepy Woods. It isn't. And Parallel, Benjamin. So <laughs> it's a big it's a big season of what's going on in that Creepy Woods. It's a big season of stay out of those Appalachians. But we decided don't, don't to have... Be, <laughs> what? Don't be going near those Appalachians. Get out of those Appalachians. They're very bad. Or Not the Ar- Arondacks? Is that the ones in New the York? The Arondacks. Arondacks? The Arondacks, the Arondacks. Arondios. The El Arondos. Anyway, yeah, anyway, it's bad time to be in the woods. But Long Legs, Ben, (laughs) has a little bit of a culty feel to it, doesn't it? Oh, it's got a big old culty feel to it, Michael. There's all kinds of odd references uh, scattered throughout here, Michael. We see a book uh, detailing the nine circles of hell. Oh, yeah, yeah, like Dante. Like Dante. Uh, We see some absolutely classic culty looking symbolism drawn everywhere Michael Benjamin I fucking love as everyone knows Benjamin everyone in the world knows this but especially you my favourite genre is spaceship horror what's going on in that creepy spaceship yes it is your favourite fucking fabulous stuff fucking get me in an event horizon any day of the week I'll let them peel my skin off as long as I get to get spooked yeah but Shove it on in there. Shove it on it. That's what you would say on the on the horrible space station. Just shove no, it on in there. That's but deep, ben, dark, and lovely. Was that the name of the porn film that you mentioned on the podcast? Not a porn film, Benjamin. It's about a creepy woods in the Ariondacks. I don't believe you. Okay, well it's true. But Benjamin, my second favorite genre or horror trope is this sigil will probably drive you mad. Oh, yeah, Michael, you're going to love the uh, later part of this episode, Michael, because it's all about sigils that drive you mad. Yeah, yeah, and this looks like it might be sigils that'll drive you mad, or it might just be people who are already mad. Yeah, so there is a bit of a synopsis for this in existence, Michael. Oh, go on. But uh, Ben, and the synopsis, ben, yes. I'm going to challenge you here. Okay. I'm going to challenge you to not just read it from Wikipedia, I'm going to challenge you to spice it up a little bit. Yeah, sure. You ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You ready? I'm actually on fucking tenter hooks, Ben. I really am ready, yes. Lee Harker. <laughs> a brand new wet behind the ears FBI agent Uh-oh. has been given a case that no former agent could solve involving a serial killer and some occult goings on. 
but wouldn't you know it, the more they uncover, the weirder it gets. That's going to be an absolute fucking nightmare to edit, Benjamin. Thank you very much. Is Nicolas Cage? You're welcome. Is Nicolas Cage in this? He's not in the trailer. Yes. Is he? He's not in the trailer, Michael. He's not in the trailer. But it depends on which trailer you pick. Oh. He looks to be. This is this is Michael a trailer in the sense that an epileptic fit is a memory surge. It's not. It's it's glimpses of a trailer. Um, and I think it's there to solely pump the hype for this film. It, there is one scene, Michael, where there is a person who places their hands over their face like this. You can't see that, yes. ladies and gentlemen. It's essentially an inverted uh, upside-down sign of the Aquila from anyone for war, from Warhammer background. But that looks to be Nicolas Cage in whatever role he's playing. Uh. Uh, it involves a serial killer. The case involves a serial killer, and I reckon that might be Nicolas Cage. He might be the former... Serial, well, not former serial killer, but he might be the serial killer of this particular thing. Now, Michael, the thing that caught me off guard when we were looking what? at this is that... What was it? You put the trailer in directly from Neon itself. Now, Neon is a very famous... Um, is a very, very famous horror kind of producer of films. And yeah, what are they doing? Films. But the, the title of the thing that you gave us, Michael, was You've Got the Teeth of the Hydra Upon You. Yeah, it's great. Isn't and it? I went, what in fuck's name is that, Michael? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea, because that wasn't the film. I knew Long Legs was a thing. I knew that was a thing. But I had no idea what you've got the teeth of the Hydra upon. But it's fucking, it's from um, T-Rex. The band How T-Rex? weird is that? Yeah. Go, go on. Uh, it's from Bang a Gong, Get It On. Bang a Gong, Get It On, Bang the Gong. You know that one? Dun-dun. Yes, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the lyric is, you're dirty, sweet, and oh yeah, well, you're slim and you're weak. You've got the teeth of the Hydra upon you. You're dirty, sweet, and you're my girl. So it's from that. Oh, that's good and creepy in this context. It is, isn't it? It's got a a Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs vibe to it. Mm. I hope, Michael, my my great dream for long legs now, having learned that fact, is that I thought that was a really cool biblical passage. I thought it might have been, you know, a Victorian novel. No, it's, it's Mark Boland and T-Rex. But That's gas, my greatest gas, wish man. now, Michael, is that we see Nicolas Cage doing some kind of creepy serial killer dance to Bang a Gong, Get It On by Mark Boland and T-Rex. That is the way cinema is going these days. It is. That's almost undoubtedly how that film will end. Will will be someone doing something horrible and dancing to it popular song and then 8,000 TikToks being made out of it yeah 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 like if Saltburn has taught us anything it's that have a weirdo do a dance to a popular song from the past absolutely and you're golden sorted ladies and gentlemen if you'd like to see us do a weird dance from the past uh, all you have to do is give us a review wherever you listen you can find us in multiple places if you're on Spotify give us an L star review down there somewhere if you're on Google Podcasts that's soon to be gone so I don't know what you're doing there hop over to one of the new ones but give us a review before you leave if you're on Apple Podcasts do it as well it's a great way to share the podcast with others because they love reviews over there at Podcast Algorithm Central the main thing that they love, Benjamin. I don't like how quickly you brushed over the fact that you've agreed that I will do a dance for TikTok if someone, if one person gives us a review. I said we. Well, I'm one of we, Ben. Yes, you are, unfortunately. Um, if I could do a way, if I could find a way to do this podcast and split my personage into two, Michael. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> laughing. Uh, 
Oh, I'd be so I'd be so restful. I'd be cancelled. My life would be within, so restful. <laughs> I'd be cancelled within a breath, Michael. Yeah, you ladies and if- gentlemen, <laughs> you can't see this, but I actually have a sign that I hold up when Ben's about to say something that'll get him cancelled, and he just knows to deflect. Imagine what this podcast would be like without that sign. Loathe though I am, Michael. To admit this, if I didn't have you to rein me in, dear God, I would be the Andrew Tate of Dublin 24. Oh, I'd love to get into that, Ben. I'd love to hear more about that. But that is not here nor there for this podcast. Yeah. Although apparently the film Tuesday is. Yes, Michael. Speaking of strange apparitions that keep you in check, uh, this week, Julia Louis-Dreyfus has to deal with a parrot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, now, Ben, here's the thing, though. Is Julia Louis-Dreyfus not busy filming Thunderbolts? Oh, no, no. Hold on a second. That's not real. (laughs) It's not a real film, Michael. It's for tax purposes. I don't know what tax purposes are, but it's for tax purposes. There's no way it isn't. Yeah, Benjamin, you have spelled Thunderbolts on the show notes absolutely incredibly badly. Have I? It's spectacularly bad. Thunderbolts. It's incredible bad bit of spelling there. I'll tell you what, Michael. Write your own show notes from now on, yeah? All right, fuck you then. Fuck you. All right, we're gonna go. We're gonna go down this road, are we? <laughs> well, not gonna ladies and gentlemen. This I'm not gonna it. put the sign up anymore. Tell us what you think about Andrew Tate, Ben. He's Signless. A right, he's a right cunt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but come here to me. This what? week we got a trailer for Julia Louis Dreyfus, who is part of, of course, the now infamous uh, Marvel tax scam yeah. that was Thunderbolts. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, we got a brand new trailer this week featuring a psychopomp parrot, Michael. Very strange stuff altogether. Benjamin, I turned this trailer on and I watched it and I said, there's Julia Louis-Dreyfus and this appears like it's going to be some sort of light-hearted comedy about a woman in her 50s. That's a <laughs> risk I've taken there. About yeah. a woman in her 50s with a younger daughter getting back on the dating market. But then I thought, no, it's not. Her daughter has some sort of degenerative disease and is going to die young. And this is going to be a sad tale of a mother and daughter coping with their grief. And I thought then, Ben, that's fine. Mm -hmm. What's this got to do with this podcast? And then the daughter was sitting in the garden and a horror scene happened. Yeah. And the gigantic, ratty, gross parrot landed beside her and started talking. And then shrunk down and went in her pocket. Otherwise known as most parrots, Michael. Um, hey, hey, stop the parrot yeah. shaming. I will not, I will not. Um, multicoloured rats with wings, as it were, Michael. And a bit of cheek about them as well. They do have um, a little bit of cheek about them, don't they? They've been a good they podcast do co-host. <laughs> yeah, I'd say we'd do better if we actually used that as one of our uh, gimmicks. We should probably get a parrot for a the parrot. podcast. Hashtag yeah. parrot for the podcast 2024. Hashtag everything is content. So yeah, this this is a bizarre film in general, Michael. But basically, the psychopomp is sent to prepare Zora is the name of Julie, Julie Louis Dreyfus's character to prepare for prepare her for the death of her terminally ill child Tuesday. Mm. That's no crack um, at all. That's no crack at all, Michael. This is a very British production. You may have noticed that Julie Louis Dreyfus is the most American thing about it. I didn't actually. I didn't notice that. Okay, well, her daughter is very, very English, and that's because this was made by A24, BFI, and BBC Film. What a what a strange congregation of producers. Oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. The British yeah. Film Institute and the BBC. And the BBC, Michael. And A24. Hollywood darlings A24, who can do no wrong. So far, anyway. Maybe this will be... Well, I mean... 
if Marvel has taught us everything is that what goes up must definitely crash down in a series of mediocre fucking cash grabs but you know just terrible stuff anyway Ben this looks interesting I don't know if it's really in my cup of tea it, it might not be. It might be nobody's cup of tea, Michael. It's It features, as I said, a psychopomp parrot. Now, for anyone who isn't familiar with that and why I keep lashing that term around, a psychopomp, ladies and gentlemen, we've done a whole episode on it many, many years ago. We might do another one, Michael. We could. Uh, but a psychopomp is a, is a deliverer of the dead. Um, so it's someone who carries the dead from one side to the other. And this looks to be a big parody version of that. Like death from vertigo, Ben. Like Death from Vertigo, Michael. Everybody's favourite psychopomp, uh, Death from Vertigo. Or like that hippo god from um, Moon Knight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't even remember Moon Knight, Michael. I blocked that out. Yeah, what's, what's her name? Haster? I can't remember her name. And Benjamin, like uh, like uh, Death from uh, Terry Pratchett. Oh yeah, everybody's, that is that is genuinely a very enjoyable form of psychopomp. Mm. Or Susan. Mm. Desk's uh, niece, granddaughter, granddaughter, ben, adopted daughter, adopted daughter. That's what she was. Benjamin, look, we probably won't see it because we'll be too busy instead going to see all of our favourite men and one woman in the League of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Yeah, so we got a trailer, Michael, with Henry. Two of the two of the hottest men right two now. The Michael, two of the hottest men, Benjamin. The two men who I assume would play us in the dramatization of this podcast. <laughs> well, that is far too kind to one of us, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll not tell anybody who it is. You can vote down below, ladies and gentlemen, on the Discord. Please do. Um, just try not to hurt my feelings too much. Nah, lash into them. Um, lash into them. He loves it. I love it. I love it. It's my favourite thing. We got a trailer for The League of Ungentlemanly Warfare mm. uh, this week, which is a film we've already gotten, Michael. I, th- I thought so. You were... Yeah. It was called... When did we get it? <laughs> I was watching this going, because I not see this. It was called Inglorious Bastards, Michael. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've seen this several times. But you know what? Do you know what? Never let it be said that Guy Ritchie won't make a film that's already been made. He's happy to do it. He'll do it. That's his entire career. Try and fucking making stop films. him. Try and stop him. So this is this is a bizarre film, Michael. It's got Henry Cavill, who's top notch billing. Yep. Let's let's be honest. We've got Alan Richson, who and I feel, Michael, I feel this might be one of those cases where I, I guess we could probably call this the scream effect, where we happen to have an actor or actress who has become huge in something else after this film was made. Like how Jenna Ortega has accidentally become the star of the screen. Correct, franchise. and then dropped out because she has because great views on the Palestinian conflict. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And supporting her mate, Melissa Barrera, who's now my favourite Hollywood yeah, actress. Yeah, great stuff from both of them. But Alan Richardson's in this, Michael. Awesome. Reacher himself. Yeah. Benjamin, presumably Alan Richardson in, is in this because of that time that Army Hammer kept texting women and say, oh, I want to eat you and spunk on you at the same time. Yeah, I would assume that Alan Richardson's career has only gone from strength to strength since the revelations of cannibalism came out about Army Hammer's career. Because if you're going to replace a big charismatic American with someone, it may as well be another big charismatic American. Now, Ben, yeah. I'm just going to throw out there, are you certain that Alan Richson isn't Canadian? Uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm never sure of anything <laughs> on this podcast, Michael, famously. And given the, the dangerous territory we found ourselves in uh, about two weeks ago, where I definitely yeah. didn't have to take an episode down and edit it in a haphazard fashion. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to bow out now and be quiet for the rest 
He is he is American, Ben. <laughs> okay. He's from Grand Forks, North Dakota. I, I don't know where that is, but fair enough. Um, so yeah, he's popping up in this, Michael. And I have to say, I love watching Alan Richardson and anything because I remember him as Thad Castle in Blue Mountain State, which was a bizarre American football comedy series when I was a teenager and very formative for me. Great stuff all around. Um, so yeah, the Ministry for Ungentlemanly Warfare is out. We'll probably watch it. It's got a good heaping dose of the man from Uncle to it, I think. Very much so, with your Henry Cavill and your uh, and your Army Hammer. Yeah, and your lack of cannibal now. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's based on a 2014 book called Churchill's Secret Warriors, the explosive true story of the Special Forces Desperados of World War II. Mm. Which, to be honest, sure, Michael, yeah. if you asked me what Guy Ritchie read on holiday, that would have been my top pick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, would have been absolutely. it. Absolutely 100% based on the true story. Benjamin, my favourite thing about it is that they're like, what do we do with Henry Cavill to distinguish him from his other roles? We'll just get him to keep sticking his tongue out like a deranged Miley Cyrus. Yeah, let's let's get him to do that and get him a bit of wax for his moustache there. Give him a little bit. Give him a bit of wax for his moustache and you just go around going, let him, ah. let him twiddle the ends of his moustache there. But Michael, this is a this is a very fictionalised account, and let's be very, very clear here, of a famous operation that took place during World War II called Operation Postmaster. Oh, go on. Yeah, so a British Special Forces uh, group conducted uh, an operation on the Spanish island of Fernando Po. Uh, oh, is that how they're justifying um, Isaac Gonzalez being in it? I, I mean, probably. They, I, I guess, I guess Ana de Armas was busy. <laughs> Ana de Armas was busy. The Isaac Gonzalez. <laughs> I don't know. That's very mean to Isaac Gonzalez, who is a very attractive and I'm sure very capable actress in her own right. Oh, yeah, well, I, th- I don't think her value depends purely on her attractiveness then, but... Obviously, Guy Ritchie disagrees with me. <laughs> Guy Ritchie disagrees with most people on those points, yeah, yeah, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, look, anyway. <laughs> we'll give it an out watch, won't we? Yeah, we will. We will indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking of things we've given a watch, Michael. What? Are we lashing through content today? What time are we at? Oh, we're around 25 minutes. We're flying. Oh, look at us. Who's better than us, Michael? Uh, very, very many people, ladies and gentlemen. But don't let that stop you from listening to the rest of this episode. Uh, yeah, Henry Cavill and Alan Richardson, for example. Yeah, come on, let's play us in a movie. It doesn't matter what kind of movie it is. Play us in a movie. Anything. Anything. Yeah, yeah, anything. It could be absolute rubbish. We could get killed by Nicolas Cage. It doesn't matter. If Alan Richardson or Henry Cavill would like to be on this podcast, please let us know at the earliest possible convenience. Uh, too tall, Ben. Too tall. We have an upper, lim- <laughs> we have an upper limit as well for height. I don't have a lower limit, Michael. I'm quite a short man, so I don't really mind. Yeah, you're the lower limit. I oh, am. Yeah. Oh. can't have a... We can't have anyone on this podcast, Benjamin, shorter than you or taller than me. Now, I know there's only a couple of centimetres in the difference there, but that's the rule. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's very unlikely that you're going to find anyone shorter than 4'6", but if you can, you can come (laughs) on the podcast. Yeah, we forgot to mention Ben is actually a goblin. Yes. He's actually I'm legally defined as a goblin. Um, He's a little small goblin. He's part of the Miggledy Higgins tribe of Irish goblins. (laughs) Speaking of (laughs) goblins, Michael, this has nothing to do with them. But I watched Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Amazon Prime this week. I don't think Donald Glover's very tall. I'll look Don, it up I, while you tell us about it. Yeah, you, you look it up. You you have that ChatGPT bot specially designed to look up a celebrity's height at a moment's notice. So why don't you just <laughs> plug that in there as quickly as you can? Benjamin, great news. <laughs> of absolutely spectacular news. 
Donald Glover is about halfway between our heights. Oh, he can be on the podcast. He can be on the podcast, Ben. We're flying. Good for him. Now, Michael, this is important. This is a good watch. I'm going to I'm going to start off very positively. Um on this review. Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Amazon Prime is a good old watch. However, bear in mind that it's made by Donald Glover. If you've ever seen anything that's been written and directed by Donald Glover... Atlanta? Atlanta being the key example. It's got a lot of the tropes of that... Does it? ...in it, yeah. So It's a little bit odd and peculiar. There's, there's, there's quite a few moments of odd and peculiar, but it's very grounded, Michael. It's it's difficult to watch this series without going, I think he did this in Atlanta. No. Oh, the conversational style is one of those, is, is that kind of defined Atlanta style of a casual conversation that accidentally reveals something awful, terrible, or wonderful. Oh, very exciting. In a very relaxed fashion. So, I think this is excellent. However, it would seem that there is a bit of a divide between audiences and critics, as there often are, Michael. There often are, because critics are often up their own, as they say, Benjamin, arseholes. Yeah, so I think in this particular case, Michael, I might be up my own arsehole for liking this, and I think I might have had to push myself to like this a bit more. I had to give this some serious thought, Michael, which is not always the hallmark of a great series. Oh, hold on a minute, though, Ben. If you had to think about something and justify to yourself that you should like it, maybe it's rubbish. No, it's not. It's definitely not rubbish. I don't think it'd be called rubbish. Now, let's go into why this is. So, okay. a lot of audience members are complaining, and the people that write on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and that kind of thing. Oh, oh no. There's a, you're going to hear a growl here from my dog, because there's another dog that stepped on their turf. Uh-oh. Turf war. Bowie's not too happy about that. Benjamin. Come here, Bowie. Famously, Benjamin, the listeners hate when there are dogs on the podcast, and you know this, and yet you keep bringing dogs on the podcast. Michael, I brought dogs on the podcast because fuck the listeners. Um, (laughs) I love dogs. Um, I love it. If you would like to let me know how much that annoyed you, leave us a review wherever you listen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave us a pro or anti-dog review. Benjamin, some of the audience are saying what? Sorry, yeah. Most people seem to think that, oh, Jesus Christ, this is nothing like the Brad and Angelina 2005 classic. An absolute classic, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Now, Michael, it's nothing like that. And for good, good reason. This is far more closely based on the 1996 TV series, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which starred none other than Scott Bakula. Scott Bakula? Scott Bakula, he's not Dracula. Yeah, he's not Dracula, he's Scott Bakula. Yeah, so that was a, that was a TV series that came out years ago, Michael. Two spies are recruited for an intelligence agency, they pose as a married couple. And that's where the concept originally comes from. This is a little bit closer to that, Michael, um, and has very little to do with the Brangelina rom-com. Benjamin, who played Bracula's wife? Uh, Bracula's wife was played by none other yes. than Maria Bello. Was she really? Yeah, Maria Bello was his, his wife. Maria Bello from out of replacing Rachel Weisz in The Mummy 3. Yeah, that's her. Oh, yeah, yeah. She was also in A History of Violence. Yeah, yeah, she was, yeah. And, and Coyote uh, Ugly, yeah, if you've yeah, ever yeah. seen that gem. She was also in Beef. She was, she was in Beef. Was she in Eeyore? Uh, just, she might have been in Eeyore, but she was... Reading, an- <laughs> we're just reading IMDb. Yeah, I'm just reading IMDb. Welcome back to Reading IMDb, the podcast that gives you all the information you too could have gotten if you just typed it into Google. Yeah, but with some um, unnecessary guessing. So, Benjamin, with- <laughs> it's different from the movie, and people like the movie despite it being rubbish. 
See the way he reins me in in the fashion of a scraggly parrot, ladies and gentlemen. Get in Excellent my stuff. pocket, you little scraggly parrot. <laughs> Tell us about Mr. <laughs> oh, and Mrs. Smith. Oh, I'm the scraggly parrot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, scraggly right. Parrot. When we're talking about this, Michael, it's 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 not a very Okay, I think we'll go into spoilers from here on out because it'll be quite difficult to to do this without spoilers. Okay, this is a this is a relationship dramedy. Oh no, that's the worst type of show. Against the backdrop of a spy thriller. Now, it does the spy parts phenomenally well. So, if you're into a well crafted spy drama, it's got the cinematography of the Bourne identity. It's got the cold hard realism of Daniel Craig's James Bond. It's got a very classical James Bond 60s soundtrack. Oh, sounds exciting. Um, yeah, and it's got a really, really fun self-awareness of kind of the camp tropes of spycraft but but the pacing is awful (laughs) it's a it's a slow burn right and if you're not into that michael and you might not be you might want to be kept locked into a spy drama as many would hope Mm -hmm. but it's pretty rough for pacing it's slow and occasionally dull which is a big crime that's not what you want from your television, unless it's what you're into. Unless it's what you're into. Now, it's very slickly written. The chemistry between Maya Erskine and Donald Glover is phenomenal. Mm. But I think audiences are going into this expecting to see a cool, sexy, fun, will-they-won't-they they sexual tension kind of comedy. You're not going to get this. This is a realistic look at what would happen if two people were placed into a relationship and their lives depended on it. We've already seen that. That was called The Americans. It was called The Americans, and that's pretty much kind of what we're looking at here. Now, Michael, it's very important to note that, you know, one of the key topics being discussed here is the loneliness epidemic that we face in society that we hear so much about in various headlines, and the idea of being alone versus being lonely. Ben, when you say the loneliness epidemic, do you mean the male loneliness epidemic? I think there's a little bit of that. I think Donald Glover's character of John Smith is definitely suffering from a male loneliness fault. Is he really? You ha- you are the Andrew Tate of D24. Benjamin, is he some sort of an incel type character? Not intentionally. Um, well, is anyone? N- n- well, I, th- I think a lot of incels are intentionally incel. There's, there's, there's kind of a doctrine that goes with it and they intentionally kind of do more harm than good to themselves at a certain point but we'll get into that on another podcast Michael um, <laughs> All right, we're going to start a men's health ideologies. podcast this is great in, in, in cell I, we'd probably do better Michael uh, but come here to me this is quite interesting because the parts of this show that are being clipped already on TikTok Michael are Donald Glover's frustrated speeches from this series oh. he's thrust into a relationship with Maya Erskine's Jane and Jane in this is a cold, shut-off, on-the-spectrum, mild sociopathic woman who's very calculated and manipulating. Now, she's entirely likable as a character. She's not being portrayed as someone who is inherently bad because they are a woman, and that's quite important. Right. Donald Glover's character is, in many ways, a snivelling little man-child. Oh, great stuff. However, he is also, as are many, many people... A uh, uh, man of two halves because he's also very, very competent at his job, very, very good, and he s- tends to find himself in the backseat of their John and Jane adventures together. 
I see. Um, in a way that he wouldn't prefer. But anyway, we'll get into that at another point. They have a lot of tension between the pair of them. And it's not fun, cool, flirty, sexual tension. It's just, I might hate this person and I can't quit this job because then we die. <laughs> um, oh, that doesn't sound fun at all. That sounds very yeah. stressful. So that's that's played with quite heavily. Like they they give us Bill Skarsgård is at the beginning of this um, show. Michael, he has his own Jane, and they are John and Jane, and they are meant to be, I think, stand-ins for Brad and Angelina, and they are hunted down by the company to their last hiding place and they try to do the cute okay honey you do this you do that and massive spoilers here but they are immediately uh, taken out um bill skarsgård oh, is snipered good. through the head um bill or alexander uh, oh alexander sorry alexander thank you very much michael mm. now yeah. benjamin you know especially since I had that chat with Guy Ritchie, I won't watch any sort of spy drama without Isaac Gonzalez in it. Uh, she's not in there, unfortunately. <laughs> ben, she is. Oh, it's she. She's, uh, she is, I think, Jane at the beginning of the thing. God damn it. That's what I, that was, uh, that was the, you know, I was giving you, I was setting you up for a joke and you were going to, I was going to serve it up and then you were going to smash it. All right, it do you want to do it again? But you, nah, fuck nah, it. Nah, fuck it. I've, I've, Leave I've it in. Fucked it. Uh, yeah, so Isaac Gonzalez is in this. Thank you very much, Michael. I probably should have looked her name up. She is the Jane Smith to Alexander Skarsgård's John Smith at the beginning. Um, and she's the one taken out. Um, so that that's all being played with there, Michael. And then each episode is its own take on a classic early days couple dilemma. So one is about the double date. One is about meeting ex-flames one is about dealing with the other person's family one is about your first vacation with your partner you know but all of them are spy missions Mm. um now it's very slick i i have to say it's very very slick and it has a very deep message that it's trying to get across but i really do think it's hampered again once again by marketing because it's being marketed as the original brangelina kind of fun sexy time it's not that. Mm-hmm. You'd want to be a fairly secure couple going into this, Michael, if you're going to watch it with your partner. Okay, I'm, I'm all right with that. Yeah, you're probably fine with that. That's probably fine for you. Yeah, yeah. But there might be yeah, other yeah, people, yeah. Michael, that... You're not naming any names, I'm not going to name any names, Michael. I'm not doing that. Just throw out a first name. Uh, PJ. Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah. Where you're coming from. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> it was a weird bit that we both did. Um, <laughs> come here to me. Um, anyway, uh, it is very, very slick. Unfortunately, it is hampered by its pacing, and it does get a bit too up its own hole. There are some absolutely magic episodes of this, Michael. Um, one of the great episodes of this is Ron Perlman is... An absolute bastard that needs to be extracted from Italy. And he becomes basically a giant child they have to look after. And that's how they discuss the conversation of children. It's very good. Benjamin. Yes. Speaking of things that came out this week that weren't on the running order, but I've just remembered. Uh um, People, and that people are not loving... Absolute disaster of a launch for Justice League Suicide Squad killed the Justice League. Oh yeah, no, that's that's that is being hamstrung to bits, Michael. Absolutely lashed out of it. Apparently one of the worst AAA games ever released, essentially. Yeah, so uh, before we begin that, what is what is a triple A game, Michael? Triple A, Ben, like top of the range. Oh, okay. Three hundred million dollar production value. 
like 70 80 euro to buy it oh like big studio big studio big name call of duty benjamin your yeah your so Baldur's it was made gate three i suppose it was made by rockstar games yeah and yeah big ben is arkham it, knight yeah yeah huge they made the famous batman arkham trilogy michael and famously excellent games this one is apparently quite rubbish yeah yeah um no, use. no one no one's enjoying it well what i've enjoyed from it michael and what i've seen from it because i'm chronically online as the kids would say yeah yeah yep. are the cutscenes that are up on tiktok that's quite well acted and quite fun to look at they're strongly yeah. characterized and I, I quite enjoyed that um but the gameplay itself michael and the outcomes of some of the conflicts apparently are upsetting people massively yeah 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 so the voice acting is very good the, the um, facial i'm going animation. to have to let my dog out to pee you can spin your wheels there while i do that okay i won't i'll wait for you to come back don't do that just spin your no, wheels. I'll you, you no, I'll wait bitch. for you to come back. I'm going to wait for you to come back. I'll edit this out. That doesn't look like you're spinning your wheels. I'm not. I'm going to edit this out. Hold on. You I'm going to, you ready? Pillock. I'm not going to just sit there and spin my wheels while you go and let the dog out for a minute and a half, you <laughs> dingus. <laughs> right, you ready? <laughs> the facial animations are great. The voice acting is incredible. Tara Strong is um, Harley Quinn. Samoa ah. Joe is King Shark. Love it. But... Benjamin, the big, big, big thing about it is that you just... It's a gun game. Yeah. So you kill the Justice League with guns. It's in the title. You know how you kill uh, the Flash? With a gun? Guns, yeah, yeah. You know how you kill Batman? With a gun? Yeah, it's guns, yeah. You know how you kill Superman, Ben? Uh, With a gun? Yeah, guns, it's guns. Very good. Yes. Kill them all with guns. Very good. No, uh, no use at all. No one likes it. Yeah. So one of the one of the interesting criticisms that I saw, Michael, and it, it was very very interesting to me, is that people were like, "Oh, could you not have found a way to you know save the Justice League and have them come back at the end?" And I, I find that so interesting that people are still so attached to their characters that even in a a video game set in an alternate universe, they're like, "No, no, that wouldn't happen. Uh, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. Ki- they couldn't do that. There's no way." Superman had trounced them. <laughs> and, like, they're not wrong, but I just find it very interesting that people are still like, no, not my heroes. Benjamin, I, I can't disagree with any criticism of it. It's just, it's so weak. It's so poorly put together. Like, sure, if you had some sort of massive, important feeling showdown with Superman and maybe he came back to himself for a minute and you somehow convinced him that he has to fight the the thing Brainiac's control over him and then flies off into a red sun and dies or something. But no, you just shoot him bullets and he just dies and he just falls over on the ground like a baddie. And yeah, that's not how Superman works. And maybe they were going for a thing of like death is pointless and anticlimactic and but maybe it's just bad writing. Maybe it's just bad writing. Maybe it's just lazy bad writing, Michael. Speaking, Benjamin, though, of bad hmm? writing. Oh? If you go back to the Victorian period, no one was able to write anything that was any use. <laughs> That's categorically untrue, Michael. However, it's very hard to go back to the Victorian period and find anything that isn't flowery and overwritten. <laughs> um, but we'll get into that now, Michael, because this week we're dealing with the wonderful topic of who's afraid of the king in yellow? Well, not Henry Cavill, anyway, because he just go ah. He just go there, and you stick his tongue out, and then Guy Ritchie be like, and then you shoot him with a gun. You shoot him with a gun like fucking Superman, mate. I I'm assuming that's how Guy Ritchie talks, isn't it? He does jujitsu, so he's probably sound enough. 
Uh, Guy Ritchie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, could you get him in an armbar? Oh, you would. He's been doing jujitsu for a very long time, Benjamin, though. You'd be very unlikely to get him in an armbar, I suggest. Oh, I, I couldn't get anyone in an armbar, Michael. No, I could... I could. No, it's no. not going to happen, Michael. No, no, you could give suggest. me a corpse and I would somehow end up in their armbar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Zombie, yeah. obviously, in that case. But, Benjamin, I wouldn't recommend yeah. you pick a fight with Guy Ritchie. Anyway, the King in Yellow. That sounds interesting. That sounds interesting, Michael. The King in Yellow is an 1895 book, Michael, by a man called Robert W. Chambers. What does the W stand for? Uh, withers No it doesn't It doesn't No I uh, made that up <laughs> That's a shame Alright just Absolutely keep going I'll check made that up. Uh, But Robert W. Chambers Michael Yes uh, William It's very boring It's Robert oh. William Chambers that He's an American author really And he wrote uh, He wrote The King in Yellow Now this is kind of This is a bizarre Standalone collection of short stories Michael published in 1895 and it is the precursor in many ways, or the bridging moment between the American Gothic of Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne and what would become a very American genre in the cosmic horror of the early 20th century and people like H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah, Hewlett Packard Lovecraft. Hewlett Packard Lovecraft, famously autistic, racist, and just very odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was he famously autistic, though? I think that's... Uh... I think it's heavily conjectured at this point, Michael. Yeah. But as we know, Michael, the only way we're going to make it out of our uh, non-view hole is by being controversial, baby! Everything is content, Ben. Boop, 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 boop. Everything is content. Fact-checking? Never heard of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so Robert W. Chambers uh, wrote this particular... Uh, collection of short stories and it's a bit of a dark horse within the canon of american literature because following the publishing of this michael yes um he didn't continue to write in that kind of horror style um ben, he yes up for a second he didn't even finish this in the horror style <laughs> no it's bizarre so the first four short stories of this collection yes are based around a fictional play called the King in Yellow. Oh, sounds spooky. Yeah. And that play, Michael, is a cursed play. And if you read it, you go mental. That's essentially the, the prospect. One of my favourite tropes in horror, Ben, is don't read or look at this thing. It will make you mental. It'll make you a bit mental. Now, Michael, this is written in a way that is incredibly insidious and creeping. It really gets under your skin. It's got that classic kind of... Edgar Allan Poe slow build mm. and the crushing rev- revelation that you're either doomed or mad. Oh, yeah. Benjamin, the same applies to modern uh, genres like Andrew Tate podcasts. Yeah, it's the same thing. As soon as you realise what you're doing, you're too lost. Late. You've already gone mental. It's too late. Yeah, you've already gone mental. Um, as soon as you concede, Michael, to Andrew Tate and go, oh, that's not the worst point I've ever... You're gone. It's done. It's finished. <laughs> It's over. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it didn't go well for you. But, Michael, this was hugely uh, influential on the cosmic horror genre, particularly H.P. Lovecraft's work. Um, And the King in Yellow himself is a man called Haster. Mm. Um, And he's not really well-defined, Michael. We only ever get glimpses from the play, snippets, as it were. Um, And we just know that he's a huge looming king in tattered yellow robes uh, and he rules over Car- Carcaros, Cascaros, um, and that's kind of his realm 
Michael. Uh, but anyway, you read the play, you go mad. And the first four stories are centred all around men who go a bit mental after messing with that. Now, it's important to note that Robert W. Chambers was a very established artist in America at the point he started writing. Go on. And all four of the short stories that make up the first four in the collection are based around artists. There's only one that isn't. And it's still obsessed with sculpture and, you know, the the classical art style that we have. But in the, the later stories, they're all centered around artists of one sort or another. Go on. Um, and that's important because it was hugely influential on Robert W. Chambers in that way. So the four stories that we're dealing with in The King in Yellow from 1895, Michael, are The Repairer yes. of Reputations, uh, The Mask. The Mask. Jim Carrey's The Jim Mask. Jim Carrey's The Mask. That's where it comes from. Hmm. Uh, in the Court of the Dragon and The Yellow Sign. Cool. Yeah. So... In in this particular case, Michael, the first one is probably the best example of the book being directly malevolent in its influence. Um, the Repairer of Reputations is centered around a man who used to be an upstanding man in a fictional America uh, that was a bit of a, a utopia, if you will. Now, Michael, as with all great utopias, it's actually a sinister hellscape that functions mainly on racism and excluding certain groups of people, and that's why it's a utopia. Oh, God damn but it. It's always the What way. I found very interesting about this, Michael, is it comes up with the concept of the suicide chamber. The, the public suicide chamber. In this, it's called the lethal chamber. But I always remember this from the first ever episode of uh, Futurama. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's a big thing in Futurama. Yeah. And it turns out that this is a concept that Robert W. Chambers came up with. It's this notion that people were able to elect to take their own lives, and they could do so in a public lethal chamber. Mm. Um, and this modern American utopia of the nineteen, the early 1900s credits its success with keeping, getting rid of the Jews. Oh, keep, brilliant. That's great, yeah, isn't keeping, it? That's never gone badly in human history. Uh, keeping the black people out of uh, major white areas. Oh. And making sure those pesky Indians don't bother anybody as best we can. American Indians or <laughs> American Indians, Indians, not subcontinent. <laughs> Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, it's oh, no. it's very tongue-in-cheek from Robert W. Chambers, who may or may not have held those views. We can't actually be sure. But most critics take it to be uh, a knowing thing because the narrator of this, Michael, is a narcissistic nut job um, and can be defined pretty much as a classic unreliable narrator. He keeps telling you, I was mistakenly committed for insanity, the fools. They just couldn't tell. Luckily, I got a clean bill of health and was let go scot-free. He was pretty much deemed fit for society again, but is kept a close eye on, Michael, uh, by mm. the authorities. But he's fine. But he's fine. Mm. Um, Very suspicious. So in this, Michael, we're kind of led to believe that maybe it's not the king in yellow um, that is causing this. But as the story goes on, this play is recognized as one of the most evil works of literature ever committed to paper, Michael. Oh, more evil than the guy with that utopia thing. Yeah. More than that. More than that. So, as the stories go on, Michael, we get inevitable variations on that. But we never actually see the king in yellow. He's not a manifestation. He's not a a physical entity that people run into. However, what we do frequently see, Michael, is people going absolutely mental from having read the collection. 
Um, and that's that's pretty much the length and breadth of that collection. From there, it changes, as you said, Michael. He didn't even finish in a horror style. He writes a strange no. time-traveling love story. Yeah, and then just loads more love stories. And then just loads more love stories. And that would become the bulk of his literary output for many years on. Um, to Much to the horror of people like H.P. Lovecraft, who would then refer to him as a fallen titan of literature. An old sellout. An old sellout, as it were. Now, who could blame him, Michael? Do you know what I mean? If you're making money off your off your flowery romances, your flowery sci-fi romances, off you go. Have fun. Yeah, well, why would you... Why would you bother continue to write about some sort of tattered being in, in yellow rags existing outside of time and space? Uh, well, I mean, certainly his the influence of that one character, Michael Haster, has gone on to be fucking phenomenal. Um, it's It's huge michael in what it went on to influence the king in yellow as a as a concept pops up again and again in fiction both old and modern it's it's actually alarming how often the king in yellow becomes cited in modern examples of fiction i'd like to hear some examples i'm son of a i'm sure you would the most i guess for our major audience michael or for people that might not be interested in in sci-fi and fantasy stuff, where you might have come across the bizarre King in Yellow is in True Detective Season 1. Benjamin, I've never seen it. Is that the one with Robert Downey Jr.? No, it's not. That's the one with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Oh, yeah, the two bros. Yeah. So they are investigating a serial killer, Michael, who seems to be... seems to be invoking elements from the King in Yellow short story collection in his murders. Um, What's he up to? Including Carcosa and the Yellow King. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. Whenever they come across one of the serial killer's victims in True Detective, they are staged in a fashion that makes them look like they are a uh, sacrifice to the Yellow King, or the King in Yellow. Mm. Um. Now, as I said, the collection itself is called The King in Yellow, but within True Detective, he's referred to as The Yellow King, um, just for convenience and, I suppose, Americanism of it. Um, but, yeah, so that's what we're dealing with, and it, it's, it is kind of cosmic horror in season one of True Detective, and perhaps some of the reason, Michael, that season one is still so lauded and still so kind of lingering in pop culture memory so much so michael that in the latest season of true detective we meet rust cole's father um so jodie foster and her partner have encountered uh, rust cole who was matthew mcconaughey's character in season one his father and his mother oh what are they up to uh well apparently his father was a bit of a murderous git as well oh no good but uh, yeah, as the two lads go about the deep south of America, they start encountering lots of Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos and Robert W. Chambers' Cthulhu mythos. Um, so this serial killer becomes known as the Yellow King. Okay. Um, and he is he ends up on spoilers for a series that came out I think ten years ago, maybe even more, maybe even more. Um, Errol Childress is the name of the serial killer in it, and he's described by children who occasionally spot him and see him as the spaghetti-faced man. 
Oh, that's very uh, Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, and, we, you know, we, we think of that as the octopus tentacled um, kind of... Uh, I can't even remember. Is it Cthulhu? <laughs> Sorry, that's just completely... Uh, thing, but a lot of the clues, facts, visuals, sigils are all semi-pagan kind of yellow king oriented. It's it's really interesting. Do they have? Do they use the sigil Ben? Do they use the yellow sign? They use the yellow sign. It's painted in different places. So the, the yellow sign itself, Michael, um, was ill-defined in the original collection, but has kind of gone on to be given its rightful place um but it's it's always kind of a an a, a vague scratching of lines on a mm. piece of paper yeah uh it, we're never given a defined yellow sign if that makes sense until much later obviously when when later authors took the fact that hp lovecraft liked this book and included a couple of tiny little references to it in his own work. And then later writers in the Cthulhu mythos said, let's fold it in, fold it in, get it in there. And yeah, because if there's... Go on. If there's one thing that we love in horror is when we really define it and reveal the monster. That's yeah, the best yeah, bit. Yeah. That's, that's one of the biggest criticisms I have and nearly everyone else has of like later additions to the Cthulhu mythos. It becomes very mechanical. It's like, yeah. oh, you're being pursued by this. You'll need two of these and one of those, and then you'll be grant. Yeah, and uh, you know we've 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 really hammered it out now. That's what people wanted. They didn't want a creeping thing to slip into their minds and kind of ruin them. But now we've we've really scared them by defining it clearly mm-hmm. and you know making it dull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just common, isn't it? That's what happens in horror when you uh, mythologize it and you spin it out endlessly endlessly now michael it's not just in things like true detective that we've seen that kind of horror we are big fans here on the podcast of scps oh yeah yeah secure contain and protect um ladies and gentlemen was a huge still is a huge database of fictional kind of i suppose horror stories made up by a community of interneters Mm. Um, and I have to say, sometimes you come across some really fucking awful ones. And there are some um, King and Yellow inspired ones. There are some King and Yellow inspired ones. So SCP-701 mm. uh, relates to a famous play called The Hanged King's Tragedy. That sounds a lot like The King in Yellow. It does indeed, Michael. Um, and in this particular case... Um, it is almost as if he is the king in yellow. So the hanged king is essentially a stand-in for the king in yellow. Um, and it's about a play that once it starts, Michael, you have to watch to the end. So it's a little bit different. It's not a play that you read in a book. Mm. Rather, it's a play that you are forced to watch. Mm. Um, and quite often what happens is um, the the play itself will find its way into a local theatre production group. Right. And the cast will be compelled to perform it. Oh, someone's going to end up hanged. A lot of them, all of them, in fact, will find their way to death. Oh, no. Um, they will all die by the end of the production. Um, so there's, there's, you know, you can go and read that for free in the SB, SCP uh, database, Michael. It's up there online. But what I would strongly recommend is there is a, a fantastic YouTube channel, Michael, called The Volgan. Oh, he's Irish. 
and it's a fella from Northern Ireland, Michael, yeah. and he makes uh, he makes really high value production yeah. audio recordings of SCPs. He treats them as though they are recordings from the Foundation itself. Uh, detailing what happened in this thing. He does a fantastic one on SCP-701. And I, I would recommend that you go listen to that. It's a lot of fun. But it's it's very, very uncomfortable, Michael. And it has a whole load of symbolism and kind of vaguely defined things that just are kind of creepy. Yeah, man. the less defined something is, the creepier it is. Yeah, it, like there are lots of different possibilities um, floating around in that one, but it, it the the major difference, I suppose, Michael, is that the play is actually performed in this, as opposed to being uh, printed text that drives people yeah. mad. Yeah, yeah, I like anything that drives people mad, to be honest, Ben. Yeah, it's a it's your real cup of tea, mm. Michael. Now, this is the influence of this has been on kind of old literary traditions, new adaptations but michael we also see it in completely separate universes of fiction the hanged the the sorry not the hanged the king in yellow has made his way over to the warhammer 40k has he what's he up to he has so you and i michael are massive fans of both gregor eisenhorn and gideon raveler oh yeah the the eisenhorn trilogy for example two inquisitors uh from warhammer 40k's holy inquisition Mm. And so, throughout their different cases, we we meet Gregor Eisenhorn, who's a fantastic Inquisitor in his own right, and he is slowly getting to the bottom of a great conspiracy of chaos, essentially. Um, Yeah. And so is Gideon Ravener, his former apprentice. And there is someone, Michael, there is someone in the wonderful world of Warhammer 40k who is pulling all the strings and causing absolute chaos within the Warhammer 40k universe. Um, and is- so it's it's not Dan Abnett, but Dan Abnett is the author, Michael, who has created these two. And within his universe, he's recently published his latest offerings in the Warhammer 40k universe are the Elizabeth Beckwin novels, which you and I have mm. both read, Michael. We have, yeah. Not, not together, together, although... We didn't read if one you page would just each. Take my invitation. Get your gym jams on and come over. We could, but no, 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 no. We'd have a love. We'd have a lovely time reading Warhammer books in our Jimmy have, jams. That's all we do. We just read our things in our Jimmy jams, but we won't do that anyway, Michael, because we can't scare people anymore. But as it's slowly revealed, Michael, <laughs> um, there's there's kind of yes. a an opposing force to the Inquisition, and they're known as the Cognate, Michael within that world and the cognate are witches essentially they are people who harness the power of chaos uh, and try to undo the work of the holy inquisition um and yes. they are kind of the the enemy force now as it turns out the man who has pulled all their strings is the king in yellow oh this is big spoilers coming if you're a warhammer fan and yeah you read so this. big spoilers from here on out the king in yellow itself is not a spoiler what i'm about to tell you is a massive spoiler ladies and gentlemen so if you're in the middle of your eisenhorn journey listen away now although chances are if you're not balls deep in warhammer lore it's not going to make any difference probably anyway. not because it didn't make any difference to me when they revealed it to me michael it becomes the focus exactly. of Elizabeth beckwin to find the true name of the king in yellow because very late Mm. in his inquisition lore or in his magic system lore for warhammer 40k dan abbott decides that names have power which is a very old rule of lots of deep magic systems 
No, that's um, that's a long-standing rule of is Warhammer, it? Benjamin. That's um, how, that's how you gain control over a demon is by knowing its true name. Well, there Warhammer. you go. There you go. And that's long, long-standing rule. And that's of why we have Mick Leonard. I wouldn't blame Dan Edmund. Man of Warhammer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Michael, do you want to give a shout yeah. out to the thing that you cheated on me with this week? No, we'll do that at the end. Oh, fuck you. All right. Okay. <laughs> you do a whole other podcast, you son of a bitch. Yeah, by myself, Michael. <laughs> by myself. Go on. By myself, you son of a bitch. Anyway, this becomes the focus of the whole thing, and the the person or entity it is revealed to be is none other, yeah. and spoilers here, ladies and gentlemen, than Constantine Valdor. Not a fucking clue who that is. Yeah, so Constantine, Constantine Valdor, um, Michael, is the spear of the emperor. Mm. Um, and he was apparently... Uh, the spear of the emperor and the head of the custodies. Yeah, very exciting. Um, and the custodies are very similar to space marines, Michael. But better. But better. <laughs> exactly. So they are the emperor of mankind's private guard, essentially. Um, that's what they But Benjamin are. And why is he the baddie yes. then? We haven't figured that out yet, Michael. There's no reason, Michael. He it takes part throughout the heresy, the Horus heresy. We see him. And then at the end of the Horus heresy, Michael, he one day steps away from the palace in the middle of the night and disappears. And his final words um, are, not until death, um, which is one half of the famous Astartes Codus, which is not until death does duty end. Mm. Except you have to say it like uh, this. Not until death does duty end. Yeah, that's uh, that is actually a spot on both Toby Longworth impression and uh, Warhammer 40k impression. Well done, Michael. Well done. Yeah, yeah. That's just how you do Warhammer 40k. But good old, good old Constantine Valdor is a great king in yellow because he rules in a kingdom that very, very closely mirrors Carcosa, as it's described in Robert W. Chambers' short story collection. The yeah, Get um, here, the starless. He? It's a pocket universe in. Mm. Warhammer 40k I think it's called The City of Dust I think City of Dust I can't Or The remember. Dust Kingdom Something like that um, I will find it for you now I should have had it on hand Apologies y- you To go everyone I'll find uh, you uh, Elizabeth Beckwin Finds herself In that kingdom At the end of her second novel um, And that's where she runs into this So he runs a terrible creepy kingdom That um, follows the rules and physics Established by Robert W. Chambers King in Yellow short story collection So it would appear that Dan Abnett Has been heavily influenced By the King in Yellow Um, If Dan Abnett would like to come on to this podcast And discuss that with us He probably would Do you want me to try and get him? I don't know you probably, probably could. could. You probably could. Probably could. Maybe we should put him on yours. Maybe we should start a podcast for uh, Hammer the Backlog. Put him on that. Nah, it doesn't need a podcast, Ben. It has its own stuff. Benjamin, I was on a podcast this week, as you've alluded to, in a bitter and, and Oh, is that is that how it is to be cheated on? With another. I'm the bitter one. Yeah, I? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see. So bitter. Benjamin, I was on uh, I was on the Crown of Command podcast to talk about Warhammer stuff. It was so exciting. Yeah, what you talk about? I talked about Warhammer, and I talked about painting, and I talked about um, models, and I talked about paint technology, and I talked about accountability and productivity. It was very exciting, Benjamin. The Crown of Command podcast, Ben, the, the Josh from the Crown of Command podcast, they've interviewed Andy Chambers, Ben, and like the Perry twins, and people who've written, the people who made Warhammer, the people That's who cool. 
wrote the books and the people who made the models. And then they interviewed me. Yeah, what about reason? He called you his friend, the fucker. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're internet friends. We're internet pals. Is that what's upsetting you? Yes. <laughs> I'm not allowed to have other internet friends. Of course it is. <laughs> you can go and talk about your little, your little painted figures all you want, Michael. Yeah, well, you see, that's why I'm friends with Josh, because he doesn't condescend to me like that. Yes, he's not a jealous, spiteful harp. <laughs> yes. Anyway, anyway I'll stick a link down. I'll stick a link down that below is something, so you can give it a listen. That is something that Mick and I will have to take up in couples therapy this week. <laughs> uh, however, if you'd like to donate to our couples therapy bill, yeah. you can't. We don't have anything that will allow you to do that, but you no. can support us in other ways. Yeah. You can get in touch with us in a few different ways. Uh, for example, www.shomrabeug.com, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. It means tiny room in Irish. It does in Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on the interwebs at Sherlockshlisten Podcast. No, you can't. I, I've just broken. <laughs> I've broken my own rules there, ladies and gentlemen. We're also on an Acast website called www.sherlockshlistenpodcast.acast.com. Yeah, it's up there. It's always updated. You can find all the latest episodes and some other stuff there as well. We're also on Instagram at Sherlockshlisten. Yeah, it picks and troughs. Bit slow. We, it's a bit of a slow Sometimes period. we do great, sometimes we yeah. don't. Today was a good one. We talked about it? Fool Night, the manga, oh, yeah. and we did okay. Um, we're up there in shorts. We're far more bearable in shorts, ladies and gentlemen, so you maybe give it a check out. If you don't want to listen to us on Instagram, listen to us on TikTok. Um, and you can find us on Threads now as well. Oh, Threads is a fucking cesspool, man. It is. It's pretty bad. It's, it's just a, it's a lot of OnlyFans advertising. It's just Twitter all over again. It's, it just goes to show you that... If you put that format out there, people are just going to be rubbish on it. They're just, yeah. It's just human nature. Yeah. It's just a text-based sum- social media. Yeah. I'll be shite. It just gives people the ability to just be their worst self. Yeah, it's not great, like. Oh, fucking cesspool. It's the newest cesspool of the internet. Stay off it. Yeah, I mean, or come and follow us on it, whichever you prefer. But if yeah. you follow us on Instagram, you'll probably end up following us on threads, so. Oh, I think you have to. I think yeah, I think that's the new glorious rule. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm off to weep bitter tears to Joni Mitchell and some white wine <laughs> in silk pajamas by a fire. No white wine. Um, Will you have a white wine? And then Mick is probably going to go off and make new friends on the internet. So many new friends on the internet. Yep, yeah, that's it from us, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Bye. See you next week, everybody. Bye.